All right, guys, we got a really important episode for you today. What I did is I went back and looked at some of our most listened to episodes of all time. And this episode with Hannah Matheson, our marketing director, uh, was one of our most listened to episodes. The reason why I'm bringing it up is because we are having a live event May 20th and 21st all around marketing. So I thought, what better time to repost an episode on how to market your rehab chiropractic practice uh, here. So we still have a couple guest passes left. You can email me, coaching at strivetomove.com. Do not delay. Uh, I have to turn my list in to who is coming very, very quickly. And I hope you enjoy this episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the business school for the rehab chiropractor. Class is officially in session. My name is Justin Rabinowitz, and I am a rehab chiropractor on a mission to teach you, a fellow rehab chiropractor, the exact tools and systems I've used to build my own successful rehab chiropractic practice so you can do the same. I hope you enjoy, and please subscribe. All right, Hannah, you are episode two of our interview the staff. We had great reviews from Lauren, and I think you guys are having a competition. We'll see who gets more downloads. Um, great. I'm going to give, I'm going to, we'll see. I'm not going to say it yet. I might have a prize for the winner between the whole staff who gets the most downloads. So we'll see. We'll see who wins that. Here's where I want to start, though. I want to start. You are a marketing director and have a lot of different roles. We could talk through that. But just to kind of let the audience know why we're doing this, as our mastermind members grow their business and their team, um, we have a way that we do it. We have admins. We have marketing assistants. um, We hire associates. We have salespeople. So we have a lot of different aspects of the business, which, you know, coming into it as a rehab chiropractor, I never knew any of these things existed. And as I tell people about growing their own business, now I want to show who we have that you are a real human and that you do exist and how to grow someone into a role. And so what I want to do first though, is I want to go back because one of the hiring advice pieces of advice that I got early on was hire athletes. And if you can hire an athlete, hire a college athlete. And if you can find a hire, a college athlete, hire a team captain of their college team, which is exactly what you've done and who you are. So it checked all the boxes. So before we go into the marketing side, because I think this is relevant, talk about your background as an athlete, and then I'll sort of tie it back. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, I swam my whole life. And it's it's interesting because now that I'm five or six years removed from, you know, competitively swimming, I think about what who I was when that's just what I did. And that was literally all I was. Like, my only identity was being a swimmer. And swimming. Uh, I swam obviously from the time I was like a kid, like five or six, up and you know, through high school, through college. And that was my whole identity. That was it. And for me though, there was an aspect of it that was most attractive when we were hiring. It was that you transferred colleges and then in a mm-hmm. year became the team captain. And the reason why I bring that up is because you'll always hear me say when interviewing, don't tell me what you're going to do, show me what you've already done. And so if I'm looking for somebody from an employee who's displayed leadership characteristics, which now you've done in our business, it's not surprising to me because you've done that already. And so was that always something for you that you were always looked at yourself as someone that could be a leader? Yeah, that's also interesting because I remember in high school, I did kind of feel that way. I, I, I was team captain of my high school team. I was just felt like I was always somebody that was in that type of position on both of my high school teams, my club and my high school. And then when I got to college and I started at Penn state, 
that's always who I was. And immediately I just lost that. And that was really the first time in my life where I didn't feel that way. And I kind of felt like a number. I didn't have an identity. I was just going through the motions and it was rough. And I went through that for two years until I realized that I was either making a change or I was quitting and I wasn't, I'm not really somebody that quits things. So that's when I looked to transfer. And when I found the team and the program and my coach at the University of Richmond, I was just so happy. And I was really just grateful to be there. And I had a whole nother outlook on the sport and my, my place there. And I, I respected what I had and what I'd been through. So I didn't, I never really was like, I want to get back into being a leader. It wasn't like that. It was just, I'm so grateful to be here. Let's just go. Like, let's just do this. And I remember the moment in my junior year when I was talking to my coach and he was like, you might be in a position of leadership next year. And I was like, oh shit, really? Like how? Like I was so shocked. And he was like, and I, well, basically I was like, well, what do I have to do now? Oh my gosh. And he was like, just do what you're doing. You just lead by example. That's it. And I was like, okay. So I, I didn't do anything differently. And I'll never forget getting that email that was like, Hannah Matson, our team captain next year. I was like, wow, like I really can't believe that happened. And it was a vote from the the athletes, the, my team members and the coaches. So I think that was just a really interesting thing to have gone through because when I felt like I showed the most leadership in my career, I, what, I, I had no idea it was happening. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And, and again, we're, we're here uh, on purpose, which I know we're talking marketing very quickly, but I think it's important because we're talking hiring, talking people. And I think one of the things in our profession, but especially as rehab chiropractors that we are very devoid of is building teams and growing people. And if we do grow people, it's only clinicians. And so you, out of anyone that's been with us, has grown more than anyone, which is where I want to go back to. You know, when you started with us, you were a college grad, had a master's degree, but had never seen a Google ad and never done really any marketing. But again, if I look back to what was the things that I that I thought was good, well, there was two. The first one was the leadership that we just talked about. But the second one was your ability to write. Because when we do our applications, which we talk about in our mastermind, there is a writing component before you ever get in the door. And so we have leadership capabilities. We knew that you would like do the right activities because you sent them in on time. We followed the instructions and you were the best writer out of the whatever applications that we had. Um, that being said, we hired you to be a marketing assistant and you didn't know how to market anything from anything. So for our audience, go back because I know every single one would be lucky to have someone like you, but other than the fact that you were moving back here to New Jersey and you found a job that was willing to hire you, what was it that was interesting um, that might be good for the audience of rehab chiros potentially looking to hire a marketing assistant at some point? Right. I thought you were going to call me out on my really awkward six month marketing plan presentation that I had to do for you. Listen, <laughs> the bottom line with that was you, you, again, it's like, the, bot, the reality of that was we just wanted to see what you would come up with. I think yep. you wanted us to go and market the college athletes. I think I did. But it's, it was completely irrelevant, right? Mm. Again, it was more about the idea of putting something together than it was that I was not going to hire you because you didn't have the right plan. It would be ridiculous for me to ask you to come up with a plan because you don't know anything at that point. And it isn't an insult. It's the freaking truth. And so um, the idea was, again, will she actually go through the, the and do it? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, back to the question. At that point, you know, the master's degree that I did was involved in sports and that's all I really knew at the time. And all I, I knew that I liked being around that field. And then once I was in that degree, in that master's degree, I realized, okay, well, 
maybe it's not like sports that I love. Like, like I enjoy watching a good football game, but I'm not really like that type of person. So I just wanted to do something that I felt a connection with and felt like passionate about. And when I found the job posting for Strive to Move, it was like, interesting, you know, rehab, wellness, that whole idea of just helping people get back to doing the things they love. That was, that was interesting. Just the idea, because I was kind of getting to the point where I was like, I don't need to be in a college athletic department. That might not be the place for me, but just that whole vibe, that whole idea that we're going to be helping people do active things and be active. And at that point in my life, I'm, I'm not a competitive athlete anymore. I like to go to the gym. I like to stay active. And I felt like I resonated with the, the core values, truly. Good. And so when you get hired, again, teach the audience. Uh, someone calls me tomorrow and said, you, you had a marketing assistant on. I think I need some help. And I'm going to hire a marketing assistant. What the heck did a marketing assistant, what do they actually do? So what did you do when you were a marketing assistant? I just did stuff. I did tasks at the most basic level. So give, give us an example. Give us yeah. three tasks that you did. Well, the first task I think I had was to set up the podcast for the clinical practice. Um, didn't know how to do that. So I just figured it out. That was step one. I think step two was sending out broadcast emails. I, I had to quickly learn our CRM system and just how to use it. So I just had to make sure that the emails went out on certain days uh, and then probably social was next, getting posts up on social, not too much strategy. It was just making sure that something was done by a certain date. Yeah. And that, and it, that was it. Beautiful. Yeah. And so people ask all the time, you know, what do they do in marketing? And you, I, I want to do marketing. What do I do? Um, if you're not doing anything right, first, we have to do something. And so for me, being a solo practitioner with Lauren, who was an admin, who wasn't involved too much in marketing, in the beginning, the only thing that I wanted was just more volume of of stuff. And so if it was, I was sending one email out a week, could we send out three? I really didn't care what they said. I just wanted to start to build the idea that that was what we were going to do. Can we set up a podcast and produce it ourselves? Well, first of all, it gives me a, an idea to see if you can actually learn how to teach yourself to do something, which you did. And then from there, we used it as a, a networking thing locally. So that was a positive. And then three, it was social, right? Do we just get posts out? Do we record videos? And do we put more a more volume of content out than we had previously done? And as I always say, the difference between your last role and this role, marketing assistant versus marketing director, marketing assistant, your job is just to get the tasks done. Like the KPI was making sure that it was done on time when it was supposed to be done. And obviously we'll talk marketing manager now where you're responsible for outcomes. But as you said, the first step was just to make sure that you, if we said Friday was the deadline, that, that it got done by Friday. Um, yeah, definitely. And so that was where we started, started with that. Now, the next part of the conversation is there was a, there was a moment or many moments along the way where we slowly progressed you from just making sure tasks got done as a marketing assistant, but then creating this managerial position where you sort of ran the department. And in your explanation, what is the difference between an assistant and actually managing the department? To keep it short, you know, it was not being responsible for an outcome versus being responsible for an outcome. You know, if things that go weren't going well in marketing at that point, it was really would be you that we were looking at because you were, you were executing or creating the plan. You were strategizing, but that was the switch that when things, you know, if leads were low and events weren't on the schedule, that was, that was now on me. Mm -hmm. 
Good. So, so marketing assistant versus marketing manager and director. And then the next part of this, you know, as I've sort of learned and grew, um, and I've told you this before, you know, my job as a leader now, I think in the business is to continually grow the business so that people like you continue to have opportunities because the reality of our situation is if we just had strive, we wouldn't be able to afford the level that you're at now. Mm -hmm. And you probably would be bored and would have been gone. Um, so I guess, again, this is just an interesting question that the audience, are, they're going to be in the position of hiring people. From your perspective as someone that started in position and has grown, like what, as an employee, what is the reason why you stayed? What would make you leave? Like what should, what advice would you give someone else that is hiring? That's a good question. Um, I, I mean, it's the opportunities that just keep presenting themselves and they almost happen without me actively realizing it, but it's been like three and a half years now. And I look back at what I was doing and what I'm doing now. And one, I would have literally never imagined that I'd be doing what I am now three years ago. So it just happened slowly, but it was really natural. If that makes sense, the, the chances, the opportunities, the growth, and even, you know, to go back to the whole like leadership conversation was slimming. I was, you know, a little bit out of my comfort zone in the beginning because I realized I was just doing things and I had to learn. And, you know, we, we have high standards here and we have core values and I wanted to make sure that I was able to, you know, to fit the role and do what I had to do even just off the bat. And I think kind of learning my way and getting to the point where I am now, where I, I feel so much ownership and pride and, you know, sense of accountability in what I'm doing. Uh, that's what's a hundred percent kept me here. And I just think it keeps growing. And I mean, literally the opportunities just keep presenting themselves and I have no doubt that they're going to continue that way. And I think that to me, I think it's, a, it's, it's always say, is it luck or is it skill? And it's always like, it's a, probably a combination of both um, because it's, it's two, right? I, because of what I've done, I've created more opportunity. However, at the same time, if you sucked, you wouldn't have the opportunity. Like if the opportunity is presented and you can capitalize on it, it's a two-way street. And so right. if I did all the work and you were shit, like you wouldn't capitalize the opportunity. If you were really good and I couldn't grow more than we currently have, then you would be gone. And so it has to be both. It has to mm -hmm. be both. So I think that that's an interesting, interesting point. So now we've progressed you, you know, 2020 happens. As we know now, we've got four different businesses. Um, we've, you become the marketing director of all of our companies. And then we sort of fall into, you know, doing uh, Google ads and digital agency and all of this type of thing um, after a bunch of years of learning and training the hard way. So actually this will be interesting. Talk about perseverance, go back to when you first started and we tried to run. So it's like, what do they say? Like every good thing comes out of a bad situation. So when you started the, one of the main tasks was to figure out Google ads for our business because we yep. just could not, crack the code. And, and I remember it saying to you, I don't understand. We're like literally the only ones that I know that can't figure this out. So go back to that point of where we were with Google and then you can kind of talk through the journey on that. Yeah. I mean, I remember that so well. I remember the first time looking at the dashboard probably with you and I was like, holy shit, like, okay. And we had resources. Um, obviously the way that the Google ads business has developed is because we have a very specific strategy and a very specific way of doing things, which has, is directly attributed to the success that we've had in it, but it took us a while to get there. So I just, 
that's really just the one thing that we never gave up on. It was even if it sucked and I was on calls with people like every week, just trying to figure it out, we would go down and see your colleagues at other practices who could do it. And I was just consuming so much information that potentially didn't make any sense at the time, but we were just, we were going to figure it out. And I think the biggest switch was, I don't want to say it was misinformation. We were just looking at things potentially not the way that we, we do now. So we had that big switch in realizing that maybe the metrics that are going to equal success and actually a return on the back end aren't what we're currently looking at. And that was, I mean, it took us when that was right before COVID. I think it was, it took us about 18. We were getting about four leads, uh, uh, four leads pre COVID. And now we get at least 20 a month from Google ads Mm -hmm. just for our one business. Correct. Yeah, for sure. And so, but that was 18 months of, time, money, effort, energy spent throwing at it to kind of get the right strategy down. And then we sort of fell into it organically where we, you know, one person asked us for help, we helped them. And then they sent somebody else, they sent somebody else. And now we're off and on our way and created this little digital agency, so to speak, which like you said before, we had no idea it was going to happen. But, um, but I think that's just a, a lesson on perseverance, keeping our head down, even when it felt like we should probably stop and do something else, but we just sort of kept persistent with it. Um, and now you basically, you know, we, but you run that business, um, pretty much solely at this point, um, Mm. with a team of interns and, and going in that direction. So let's go, let's kind of change directions a little bit. Um, good, good info on your background. And I'm sure you'll have a lot of questions on that. Um, cause I like diving into that, especially for our clients who, you know, want to potentially recreate and build what we have here. Um, right. you've had some really interesting opportunities and had spent, have spent time in many businesses. We've joked many times and it's going to be a humble brag for you. You told your grandfather what you were doing, who was a Harvard MBA and he's like, wow, Hannah, you're getting an MBA working here. And one of the reasons, and the reason why is because not only do you run Google ads, not only do you do marketing for our companies, but one of the things, again, we've sort of fell into is you've become a consultant now to go in and help other healthcare businesses to mainly, you go in trying to figure marketing out, but like, it's like, I always say, it's like taking on a wall of a house, then you recognize mm-hmm. how many other things potentially need to happen. And like Lauren, in a very similar capacity with a little different skill set, outside of treating a patient now, and I think for you, literally outside of treating a patient, understanding insurance, you could do anything else in the business. And so let's start there. So you've had now experience, I think in your book of business, I calculated the other day, you manage over $15 million worth of companies and you've consulted with businesses from zero now up to $2 million in revenue. So you go in and you work with their team and you see what their KPIs are. Mm -hmm. You do all of that stuff. So that being your background, give us some insights, give the audience, what are, what are the three things that you see or one thing or two things from a successful business owner and outside of our practices that you've done and consult, what are three things that the audience needs to know that if they want to be successful, they want to grow a practice, they want to be cash-based rehab Cairo that they must do to be successful. Yeah. And I think before I even give that, it's interesting to note that at this point, even if you're big and you're not doing that, because potentially there are some of the businesses that I've worked with that got really big and, you know, quote unquote successful by just putting their head down and grinding. But regardless, whether they're big and have 15 people on staff or just starting, I, the three things that I would probably recommend 
to be successful in marketing, it one really just has to be a go. Um, that you know, at this point, if you're if you don't have any type of plan, strategy and execution aren't going to get you there. Uh, they're not going to be as important. So, so many business owners can get caught up in those details and how exactly should I reach out to this person? What exactly should my email say? And they can get stuck in that world. So I think number one is just to go and don't overthink things, whether you're big or you're small. If you don't have a plan, you just have to go. Number two would be, um, and this might be more relevant for the early business owner to start starting out is to build your list. Um, and the best way to do that off the bat is going to be by networking. And I think for, for the people that are just starting off, you're almost at an advantage by being solo because if you have a bigger staff, it, it can be easy to want to push somebody else to go out and do that work and go out and physically walk into people's businesses and meet other people. And we did that a little bit. I was the person at one point that was going out and meeting people and it went okay. But through that trial and error, we can now, I feel like confidently recommend that that doctor is going to be the person that's going to cultivate that most organic best relationship. So number two would be build your list. And that way, if you're starting out, is definitely networking. Uh, and then number three would be um, to do the things that even if you're small, to do them now, even if you think you're too small. And if I had to think of an actual tactical example, it would be emailing. I gave, this, I gave this example on the Marketing Monday call just the other day. I was like, I don't care if your list is 10 people. No, they don't know that they're on a list of 10 people. They have no idea. But getting into the habit of doing those things while you're small now is going to, you're, you're going to thank yourself later when you're big. I promise, because I've seen that. If you don't have the, the habits and the discipline to do the little things, send the weekly email now, it's going to be so much more challenging to try to implement that into a business that already has a million moving parts. So that's probably where I would recommend. Okay. So you, so good. So you mentioned, I wrote these down that in the beginning, we just got to go. Um, the second thing is work on list building and networking and the caveat, not the caveat, but the point there that we've experimented with, if possible, the business owner, the doctor should be the one to go to do that thing. Cause it's going to have more of an impact. And then the third thing is that don't think you're too small to do, you know, to act bigger, so to speak. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I was, I was futzing around on my phone cause I was laughing. As you said, the first one, I was speaking to somebody this morning at, and we were talking about another business and, and I said, what's going on there? Cause I know that's kind of iffy. And he said, he, the, the business owner claims they over plan and under under execute. I think he just gets lazy sometimes. He needs a hardcore action taker, which mm. is the first thing that you said, right? They yeah. overplan and underexecute. And so um, I, I really, I want to stay there a little bit because as we've learned, I think in business and in marketing, usually in sales actually too, most of the answers come after you started to do them because you get feedback. And, and so it's like, we don't know what to do. And you think about our Google ads business, how do we know what ads best? I don't know. We test it. We have an, a, we have an idea, but then we run tests to see which one wins. And so it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like we just have to go and, and test Now we have a strategy and a plan behind it. But if we just, if we wait three weeks to figure out what the perfect headline is, we're never going to put the ad out. I would have had my data already within that. And so I think that's a really good point. And especially in our world, because I think one of the issues with the people that we work with is unfortunately and fortunately, they're very, very smart and they've gotten by most of their life by being very, very smart. The problem is a lot of times that gets in the way of taking action. 
And in most cases, especially early on in business, put a metric on it, probably before 30 grand in revenue, you can make up for a lot by just taking massive action and just going rather than thinking about how to do it and strategy and all of that. Um, okay. So we had just make sure we take action, build the list and do networking, and then don't think you're too small. So those are the three, three, the three tips go. What about, um, those are the three, what about from a actual either business owner or marketing perspective, you know, in your experience now, you've seen businesses just starting out. You've seen businesses that do over a million dollars. Are there any commonalities that you see in the ones that have had success or is it the same list that you just told me? I think, yes, the same list, but still that number one, the business owners that I've worked with who have grown the most, I mean, so much energy, number one, and everybody has energy in different ways. But I feel like if you just lock them in a room and they had to, you know, figure out how to grow their business, their brains would never stop moving. And I know people can't physically see me, but I'm like, my hands are moving. Like these people just, they just go. And everyone has that a little bit in their own way. Um, there is no pausing. And it, it's really fascinating because potentially some of the business owners that I've worked with, you, you have that in your own way, but they show it in a very, very different way. So it's what been interesting. Like mean? just the way that your brain works, potentially, I think you share obviously the same traits, but the way that, and I'm thinking of one person in particular, the way that their brain works, it's just a million miles per minute and just idea after idea after idea and, and no hesitation, almost to the point where someone might need to actually slow them down. And sometimes we've had conversations about how I can best help. And that has been me like, hey, listen, one step at a time. Like, I, I appreciate that. But at that point, a business like that is going to, they need the strategy and they need the execution. And that's really where I came in to help. Whereas I think that's what got a business to, you know, as big as that business is and um, was just going and, and being nuts and not pausing. And that was awesome. But now to really grow, they're at that point where that's not going to get them anywhere else. It has to be planning, strategy, and execution 100%. And that's exactly what we did. And I luckily, it, it, it worked. And they're seeing the results, which I'm so happy about. But um, that's what I mean by that. Yeah, that no, it, it's great. Uh, the, the line we always use, right? It's what got you here will get you stuck. And so some of the business owners, hopefully it's a good problem to have because they do take massive action, which means that they're going to grow their business quickly. But then at some point, what got them there, just taking swings over and over potentially could get them stuck because they haven't built the team and the system and the process and all that. Um, I've always found, and you kind of do similar to me where you do consulting, I would always prefer to work with somebody who I have to pull more than I have to push. It's very hard. It's exhausting to have to push people to take action. It's much easier to be able to pull the reins back and maybe move them in a different direction. Uh, but if someone's got the energy and got it, I'm okay to sort of move them around and do that. And it's actually, it's a similar thing, which again, I brought Ashton up on two of the podcasts, but with him, generally speaking, he has the energy and he'll go and do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we could just have conversations about maybe the strategy behind it. But what I appreciate about him is that he's willing always at this point to just go and go and go. And it's not, I don't have to like pull him along, right? He right. wants to go. I might just have to direct him in a, in a way. And that's 10 out of 10 times. I'd much rather have that. Have you found similar? Yeah. A hundred. I'm, I was just th sitting here thinking a hundred percent, especially with even just Google ads. There are 
the same quality, just the people that are willing to put their head down, go and not overthink are, are willing to stick around for the process. Because Google ads is quite a process. There's a ton of testing. That's why we say the initial uh, onboarding process takes around three months. We have to set everything up and then we need to test. And um, I found that the people who have that, that quality are okay just to put their heads down and go and figure it out. They're okay to stick around and really, the longer you do Google ads, it just gets better. All, you know, the accounts that I've had the longest, I, I do truly believe have the best results at this point. Um, and I, I find the people that maybe don't have so much of that, that maybe are a little bit more reserved and I would have to pull. That's a lot harder. It's a lot harder okay. in the beginning. Got it. Okay. All right. We're going to create a, a scenario here. You're supposed to say, cool. uh-huh. no, you're supposed oh, to say, great. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. So Hannah, we have a brand new grad Cairo. Let's pick a city, Austin, Texas. They just moved to Austin, Texas. They just graduated. We're sending Hannah down to Austin for the next six months. Then you are going to be the person that's going to help this person do, you're going to do everything for this business other than treat the patient. Where do you start? Okay. Where do I start? Well, if they have any numbers, number one, we've got to make sure that we're keeping track of numbers. And yeah, they, we just we haven't started. We just yet. started. We're, we're launching. Okay, so then number one, we have to have some sort of system to track. I think that would be. What, what do you mean? What does that mean? Track as what? simple as a spreadsheet. We've got to track leads. We've got to track where they're coming from, what they're saying, where they're stopping in the process, everything. So we we obviously have our lead spreadsheet that has you know the basic information. Why the though? Source. What's important um, about it? What's important about it is that we need to get some data to be able to set goals and then plan for the future, number okay. one. And even if that plan is, like we said, the theme is just going, if we aren't keeping track of things, especially leads, that t- those types of numbers in marketing, we're not going to be able to really effectively plan for growth later. And that's something that I have seen with people that aren't keeping track. It's hard to make decisions if you're not you're not starting off with some sort of system to make sure you know exactly how many people are coming in each month, where they're coming from, where they're getting stuck in the process. So I would do that first. Okay. So just to give it some context there. So what you're saying is we go to Austin, we're opening up and we start to network and make connections and potentially get patients from it. What we want to be able to do from the get-go is we want to be able to look at who is actually coming in, what, where they're being referred from, what type of patients they are, who's willing to spend money with us, who's our perfect patient. Mm -hmm. And if we just go based on what we think or we feel, we're probably going to come up with a bad, uh, bad solution to a problem that might not even exist. And so Hannah, what you're saying is that if we can go back after month one and we made 10 connections and got two new patients from it, it would be nice to go back and say, we made 10 connections and both of the patients came from the CrossFit gym down the street. Okay. Where do we go for marketing in month two? Well, are there other CrossFit gyms? Because it seems like we are we work with that population. It doesn't mean we throw the rest out the window, but at least we have a direction now to move in based on even the little bit of data that we have. And then we go back month two and the next month we get another patient and this one's from a golf facility. Okay, so now there's a potential opportunity there. But I think what I talk to so many people about is they're like, I want to work hard. I want to put in the time. I'm willing to work hard, but I just kind of don't know where to start. And so when you start to track and know, give yourself some data, then it gives you a GPS on potentially what to pursue 
and create the niche or whatever that conversation is. And so the first step is tracking. Okay, what's next? What else would you do? I think aside from tracking and obviously going out, making the connections and just doing the things that you have to do to grow, which like we've said is networking, all that type of good stuff. Um, eventually what we want to do is set little goals so that there is growth potentially. I would look at someone, maybe the last two months we brought in five leads and maybe their conversion rates are awesome because they're really highly qualified referrals. Okay. So then what's, what's potentially the next goal we're going to look at? Is it 15 leads? So we now have the numbers of where we are because we tracked and we did, we just took action because that's step one. And now we're setting a small goal for growth. So that would be step two. I'd say, okay, well now we have this goal and to jump the gun and go into step three, we know it's okay. Well, what's the gap between five and 15? It's 10 leads. Where can we find 10 leads? And that would be where we can look at what we've done and which connections have we established that, you know, have been great, great leads, great patients. Um, What do we have resource wise? Is it just, you know, our, our one doc, which most likely it is. So are there different things that we can add? And we're not getting, it's nothing crazy yet. Like we're not, we're not totally going like wild strategy here, but it's just the simple things. And back to my other point about doing these little things while you're small and potentially when you only are having five, 10 leads come in, if you get into the habit of this now, it's just going to be easier when you do have 30, 50 leads coming in. So the point here that I want to make sure that we're aware of, and it's interesting hearing you speak because you have a little bit of the curse of an expert and that it just makes sense to you that we should go get leads because the Cairo is listening to this. They're like, what the heck's a lead? I just need new patients. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But you're speaking from a marketing perspective and this is the proper way to think, right? Because the only way to get new patients, more new patients is to get more leads. And so we call this top of funnel. Right. Mm -hmm. So Hannah, what you're saying, which is a thousand percent correct, because it goes back to being being your number one thing is just go, because what we want to say early on is we just need to take massive action. Well, how are we going to overtake massive action? Maybe not by the amount of patients we're getting, because that involves a sales process and strategy to get them at our prices are right. But what we're saying is the metric of success could just be getting more top of funnel. So if we Mm -hmm. got five leads because we went to meet Sally at the CrossFit gym and we had a BNI meeting and we did this, well, we want to triple that. And so if we just take, do triple the activity, there's a chance we get triple the results. Now, again, at any level, it does. it's not hard to understand if you had five of something and it got you, if you had five leads and it got you two patients at the, at the bottom of this funnel, if you had 15 leads, there's a chance that you could get four patients or five patients. So almost inevitably, if you increase the volume on the top end, you're going to get more at the bottom end. But I think it is important for the audience to notice how a marketer thinks about these things. It isn't about increasing the volume of new patients that's the outcome we want. But what's the first step, which is exactly what you just said. Can we just increase the lead volume at the first step so that we have more of a chance to get patients at the back end? Yeah. And I think the way you put it, it's exactly right. Potentially in the beginning, it's not outcome based. It's not that we need 15 or 20 leads. It's that, well, if we spend, you know, two hours networking and that got us to where we are, can we spend four hours? Can we spend eight hours? And we can reasonably expect that that will get us to the point. And that's, that's what could come before we are really outcome-based. And nope, all right, now we need 30 leads a month. What's the gap? I think it's, yeah, we see this all the time, right? You see this all the time. It, almost without fail, if someone isn't getting the results that they want, the first thing we check is how much time are they dedicating to it? And it, 
I don't can't think of one time that it's happened like, oh, we're not getting any past patients to reactivate. And it's like, well, how much time a week are you spending? Mm, well, I just do it when I have time. Well, of course not. But if you dedicate an hour a week to it, now let's go and check the outcome. Well, I haven't had any referrals. Well, how much time are we spending to build the referral relationships? Well, I, well, I'm busy. Okay, but like you're not spending the time to do it. And so again, this is just a, a golden nugget for you guys in the audience. If you're struggling with something, the first thing to go back and look is how much time are we actually dedicating to doing it? We see that in our own practice too. Like we have a, it's a relatively complicated entity. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people involved and almost without fail, when we focus on one thing, we get a result with one thing. If we don't have a specific outcome, guess what? We don't get results with that thing. And so to your point before about growing, whatever problems you have when you're small, they're just going to compound and get bigger. They don't go away. Yeah, right, so that was, that was two. Is there a third one or the, I mean, the first two were, were pretty damn good. I, I kind of touched on it. I would have said, you know, if we are setting, even if the the metric is hours spent doing something, or if it is total leads, just recognizing what that gap is and what we have to do to close the gap. And something that I've talked about on the mastermind calls, and we've talked about at Strive and really everywhere is just, if we can't do this on paper, it's not going to work in person. So making right. sure that potentially we have a conversation, okay, if you're already put, let's say you're already putting five hours in and we want a triple action, that means 15 hours a week. The conversation will be, well, can we reasonably do this? It could be yes, but it also could very much be like, no, I literally can't do this. Okay, well then we can't rely on that to get the results we want. So what are other options? Yeah, no, it's brilliant, brilliant. Um, all right, let's go change gears one more time. Um, obviously, you have clients that do Google and CRM and all that. And, you know, I know you get some frequently asked questions. I guess we'll just start with when a new business owner that's getting started um, or an established business owner, when do you recommend that they implement a Google ad strategy? And I will, again, just give a lesson on this. Um, I think if we've learned anything about being in any business, doing proper sales is also telling someone when it won't be the right time and right fit. Uh, because what we found is if we bring someone on to do something like Google and they don't have the things that you're about to talk about, you're not going to get the outcome. And then you're going to be pissed because you spent a lot of money, didn't get the results. And so we are, when we truly tell you, like we'll tell you if you're ready, we mean it because to be honest with you, it's more of a headache on our end if you're not. So when would a business owner be ready to implement a Google ad strategy? Yeah, that's so true. And we've seen it now. So at this point where I'm able to talk to somebody and ask certain questions and almost be like, hey, listen, I know this is what you want, but like, I'm going to be totally honest and I'll tell you stories of people that didn't, didn't do this and you're not going to get the results you want right now. So number one would be to have a, a CRM up and running with backend systems and for the audience. Hold on, let's just yeah, go to, we'll, we'll do that second, but just go okay. into Google. Yeah. All right, so that's number one. We need to have our CRM. We've got to have some systems. Number two would be ideally to have an admin um, because you're going to get more calls. You want to have someone that can dedicate the time to the phone um, for these types of leads. So let's, again, break this down because we have so we have a lot of solo docs that want to increase marketing and they want to run Google ads because they think, wow, this is great. I don't have to go out and do marketing in person because I don't have the time anymore. But it sounds like what you're saying is not so fast. Like 
because I'm going to make a mess for you because your phone's going to start to ring. You're going to have to follow up with people. And you just told me you don't have time already. So if you don't have another human to go and do this, it won't be worth it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would, that's number two, typically. Um, and then the last part is based off of ad spend, based off of, you know, what you have to do to get results. I'll typically say that you should be doing 15,000 a month in revenue. Minimum. Minimum. Yes. Minimum. Before you invest in Google ads to make it worth it. So I, I think two reasons for that. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. The first one is we have to have enough budget in Google ads in order to spend, in order to see if it'll work. Like people that are spending, and we didn't know either, right? We've had clients and it's not, it's not funny. It's not good or bad. They'll spend $5 a day. Well, why are you spending $5 a day? Cause I don't have the budget. And it's like, they run out in like one click or two clicks or yeah. three clicks. And at that point you're wasting more time, money and effort and energy to do it that way than the proper way. And so when we, we always come at it very honestly, like if you don't have the budget for it, then it's going to be more of a waste of your time and money to try and run it. And if you're not doing minimum 15 to 20 anyway, you just probably need to go back to step one of Hannah's list and just go and hustle more to build the revenue to that level so that you can implement that digital marketing strategy. And just for the audience, as we look at it all in to hire us plus run Google ads, it'll probably be all in roughly minimum two grand a month. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we say, we say, um, we say 10% roughly, again, very rough estimates, things matter. 10% of your revenue should be marketing budget. And so again, just the math, right? If you're making 20 and you're spending two on Google ads, then you're in the ballpark here. Now, 15, again, businesses that want to grow, they spend as if they were going to grow, which is what we did, but not everyone Mm -hmm. does that. That's why we say minimum 15, but if the the more it is, the more you are doing it, um, the better off it is. The other thing that I'll say, which is interesting in this, in our Google ads business, we do run it we have majority of cash-based practices, but we do have probably 30% of in-network insurance practices. And your job is way easier. Like we actually like those clients better because <laughs> we can we can do Google, we can run Google to more things for insurance and all of that. And so people that do have insurance-based practices, we've actually found it a little bit easier to help you than, than otherwise. All right, so let's go back. The first thing you said was CRM. Yeah, go into your spiel because most people don't know what that is. Why is it important and why do people need that before they can run an ad? Yeah, and and CRM, I mean, those are the three things. I mean, especially the CRM and the admin are what you want to be very successful in Google Ads. CRM is, I think, the number one that you you really can't do it without and do it properly without because CRM is going to be your best employee that you have. It's going to do everything for you. It's going to take so much time off of your hands it's going to automate the process that your leads are going through. And it's going to make sure that this, this new influx of cold digital leads that are coming into your pipeline are getting nurtured at every step of the process. And you're, you're going, these are going to be different leads than you've ever experienced. A Google lead is, is a much different ball game than a... Why? A, because they, they, they don't know you. Potentially, we'll, we'll say this with, you know, when I talk to Lauren, there's always a couple of different types of Google leads. There's the person that when we ask, how did they find us? They say, oh, I Googled you. And we'll say, well, what, what made you call? And they'll say, I, I actually, I read your reviews and oh my gosh, I was so impressed. That's a little bit different. They're still cold. They, they weren't referred. So no one told them that they have to come see us because we're literally the greatest thing in the world. But yeah. potentially we're like, okay, well, at least, you know, they saw some social proof. Whereas there's always the people that are like, I Googled Kyra near me and you are the closest to my house. Now we're like, okay, well, they literally have 
no, there's, there's nothing that has now separated us from the guy down the street. Like we've got a job to do. So you need that system and, you know, the things in place to make sure that you're ready to take on that kind of lead and give yourself a chance. Cause if you're bringing in leads like that and you have no systems, you have no admin, you have nothing ready to go to help nurture these people. It's, it's not going to work. It's going to be unbelievably challenging. See if you can do this in a way that actually makes sense because it's going to be hard to explain this. Um, because people, if you think about it, that don't know the back end of this, it's like explaining it to like a second grader and it's not an insult. It's just, we don't know it, but let's just walk someone through the process a little bit, right. To like, okay, so I'm online. I'm looking for a chiropractor. I see strive to moves ad. I click on the ad. It then takes me to what we call a landing page. Okay. So take it from there and why a CRM matters at that point. Um, that someone would be like, Oh, cause right now I think it's one of those things where CRM, not, I think I know every single one of us as consumers has experienced CRM and in our inbox and in our email and, mm-hmm. and all of this, we've seen it, but how does it actually work from your perspective? If you were explaining it to a, a Cairo that's out there that has no clue what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So if you submit a lead form on our, on our landing page, from so let's Google. go back. So they click, they click on an ad, an yes. ad brings them to a, another website. It looks like a website and there's a box there. It says, fill out your information to make an appointment or whatever. Yeah. So they put their name, email, phone number. They click, they click the button. What happens next the on the back end? So the next thing that they're going to see in our system is another page. And it says, congrats. You have one more step to securing your first free session, which is that DV. And we that, encourage them that next step is the CRM working. Cause again, like uh, it's funny, we all have gone through this, but it's just part of our, like, whatever that just pay that second page just appears out of thin air when we're getting on Amazon and it doesn't it needs to be built out. It needs to be housed somewhere. It needs to have like a sequence and someone minion in the back has to be doing it. Yeah, exactly. And, and from there, a couple different things happen. So that page is important because there's a calendar on it. And we, can, we encourage someone to potentially book a specific time to speak with Lauren or Sophia, our sales team. Now, if the Google lead decides not to book their call, because many of them do, the CRM is going to work its magic and be like, hey, this person did not book their call. They are going to get a very specific set of emails for people that don't book calls. And we are going to encourage them to book calls and encourage them to get in touch with us. So that's one thing. Now, if the person does do what they're supposed to and pick a time on our calendar and actually book their call, they're going to get a different set of emails. So the CRM is just working in the back, basically sitting there waiting for someone to make a decision or not make a decision and send them into the right funnel, into the right sequence, make sure that they're always absolutely getting the right thing that they need. And it's even to a point where I have it timed out. You've got 15 minutes to book your call before you get your first email that's like, hey, so-and-so, congrats on filling out your form. The next step is to book a call, like do it right here. So if within 15 minutes they didn't book their call, they're getting that email without fail. And that could literally be happening at 3 a.m. in the morning because it just happens automatically. It's not happening because I went in and sent the email. That's the biggest part. Right. And so, you know, we are, uh, we're sort of in the the throes of building this out so that the audience and just to kind of give a preview, we are building this out to, to allow all the things that you just talked about that we run in our own practices, um, we are eventually going to have a program for the audience to be able to utilize in their practice as well. We're literally Mm -hmm. in the throes of that right now. So if it sounds complicated, the good news for the the audience out there is you won't have to do it yourself because we've done all the 
bullshit behind the scenes to make it work. Um, and we're, we're currently in that process, but you know, I always look at like the more efficient a business is, but you shouldn't know how complicated it is, but you start getting into the back end of some of these things that can help your business grow. And so, you know, I think that something like this automated system, the CRM system, even if you're solo, right, it can act as your best employee. Cause even from something so simple as a welcome sequence. So like something like if, if someone books an appointment with us, talk to, talk to the audience about what happens in the CRM to ensure that they show up uh, when they're supposed to, that they have an intro to the clinic, that they have more information, that all these things happen to give us a better chance. I heard this the other day, Hannah, you'll find this interesting. They said 20% of the sales happens in person, 80% happens everywhere else. And CRM is the 80%. Yeah. And so when we sell something for a package, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000, right? It's like, well, what did you say? It's like, well, maybe that's actually the 20%. 80% was all the other things that happened that allowed us to do it. So give, give someone an example in our world, what happens if said Justin books an appointment with Strive for next Tuesday? Yeah. So if you book your discovery visit, let's say that's the first step that you're going into, you're going to get a couple different emails. The first email you're going to get um, actually, not to overcomplicate things, it's interesting. You're going to get an email, most likely from the person that you spoke with, and it's actually going to look unbelievably customized because of the magic that the CRM can go into. And I'm not going to confuse people by going into that, but it's going to literally say, we spoke about your back pain that you have at your specific gym and your specific goal is to you know, get back to whatever the heck you want to do. So it's a very customized email, step number one, and that's all automated. The next thing is going to be a welcome from the business owner um, to give them a little bit more background, just make them feel like they're a part of the family. Uh, we're, I, to, be to, to be totally honest, we are talking about adding more to it. Um, they will get something, obviously, before the appointment, 24 hours, an hour before. Uh, that's all automated as well. And then at that discovery visit, and this is where I think it's also relevant, is whether they move on to the next step or they stop there, there's going to be two different sets of emails. Absolutely. Not even just emails, everything. Emails, reminders to call, automated text messages, literally everything. And when we come up with these systems, sometimes I work with the sales team and I'll joke like, the sky's the limit. Just imagine in an absolute perfect world, what do you want to happen here? And we'll just make it happen. And it just happens automatically and it's beautiful. So, And, you know, the businesses that are willing to do it longer and, and spend more time on it are the ones that wins. And we had a few weeks ago, a patient that said no seven months ago, but we have a, a sequence built out that this lady was getting emails. I don't know, weekly, a couple times a week, every day. Um, and eventually she responded to an email and then she was ready and she spent four grand with us. And so mm -hmm. extrapolate that over the course of your business out there, uh, over the course of the next five, 10, 15, 20 years done correctly with this sort of automation, with this follow-up, with this nurture, the question isn't how much does it cost? The question is how much money are you losing if you're not doing it? And, you know, as I look in more of the business coaching side, and I, you think about it the same way, I'm just obsessed over figuring out how to continually help our clients and customers to grow their business. And we keep coming back to doing CRM, except we know that it would take them four or five years to go and build it themselves, which is why we're just going to put it on our backs and do it and then eventually have it, have that for everybody else. So um, just as a preview for everyone, uh, that'll, you'll have way more information in the future about that. But I think it's just a good lesson for everyone to understand the power of the technology so that we can, um, you know, continually grow and scale our businesses as we see fit.
All right. So before we wrap up, Hannah, any uh, final closing thoughts or, um, you know, you tell me. Actually, yes. Because when you were saying that, I was thinking the one thing that we didn't really touch on is just the whole idea of consistency and how important that is in anything you're doing in marketing. Because a lot of what you do, especially in the beginning in marketing, could be sending weekly emails. We call them our broadcast emails that could be reaching out to people is it's not going to be instantly gratifying. So if you're not consistent with it, it's it's never going to work. And that whole story about the patient who came into our world, actually, I think it was years ago, maybe a couple of years ago, she came, or I don't remember, whatever, but she came in and said no, or didn't come in for the, there was something where she went one part of the process she stopped in. Right. And I, I tell people that sending the weekly email, like it's worth it. I promise. And sometimes I feel like I'm just almost like, just do it, just do it. The consistency, it works. And that was like the perfect example of what that does, the power of it, that potentially months, years in the making of her getting content from us, one finally resonated enough that she responded to and she came in. And if I wasn't consistent with weekly emails and we didn't have the systems built out in our CRM system to make sure she was always getting content from us and always being nurtured, we would 100% not have gotten that patient. Um, And consistency just works in every every aspect of marketing and growing your marketing systems and growing that, that part of your business for sure. Love it. Love it. Excellent. So I think for me, what the best thing I can say about you, Hannah, is some of my friends that have high six figure, seven figure businesses often come to me and just ask if their employees can spend time around you just to learn from how you do things. Um, And so I think it's unbelievable to see where you were and where you are now. You always had the tools, but I think it's like, you know, potential is what it is. You have potential, but you capitalized on it. Um, you know, you go in and speak to multi-million dollar business owners and they listen to you because you know your <laughs> stuff, which is incredible. And I think you should be proud of, of everything that you've done and accomplished and similar, very similar to Lauren. And it's true. Like we are not here if not for what you've done and accomplished. There's no shot. There's no chance. And um, I, same thing I said with Lauren is the same thing I'll say with you. If people want to grow their business, go find Hannah. Just don't take her, like find someone. Like <laughs> her. So I appreciate everything that you've done. Um, uh, it's so exciting to watch you grow and exciting to see, uh, to think about the potential in the future. And it's a pleasure to be able to work with you every single day. Um, for our mastermind and non-mastermind members out there, part of our mastermind program, Mondays, 12 to one, you act Mm -hmm. as their marketing director. So 12 to one, every single Monday, if you're part of our program, you have access to Hannah and all the things plus a whole lot more. And so if you're not a part of the program, you know, it's worth its weight in gold to have Hannah on your team. Um, so that would be my, my pitch to everybody out there. Hannah, I appreciate you and you did amazing. Um, and we'll see who gets more views and downloads and, um, depending on who wins, maybe there's a prize at the end. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity for sure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you for free. One, grab a copy of my free guide, the Rehab Chiropractor's Checklist. You can get that at go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. That's go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. Two, go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram at 
Justin Rabinowitz, where I post business content. Three, subscribe to my weekly newsletter by sending me an email at coaching at strivetomove.com. And four, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential people and bring those lessons back to you. 